Think you know the Brooks Ghost? Think again. Introducing the all-new, better-than-ever Ghost 16. Now with nitrogen-infused cushioning for lightweight, supreme softness that feels good every step, every street, every single day. So go ahead, take your daily joyride in the all-new nitrogen-infused Ghost 16. It'll turn your everyday miles into everyday endorphins. Let's run there. Head to brooksrunning.com to learn more. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello and welcome to The Price of Football, the show that looks at, peers anxiously towards the money behind the beautiful game. I'm Kevin Day and uh, frankly I'm too hot. I don't like the heat. Uh, he's Kieran Maguire, football finance expert at Liverpool University, and he, of course, is too cool. Me, cool. Uh, yeah, yeah. I don't think he. I, you know, uh, you know me. I'm not a fan of summer this time of year. Don't, I'm beginning it, to be perfectly honest. I don't mind daylight during the hours of the, the day. It's, when it comes to seven o'clock, it's still light. I get really, I get really angry. Now you'll be pleased to know, Kieran, uh, that I remembered we were recording Terrific. tonight. So. Uh, we're both stone cold sober, and I have to say, mate, how you do that every day is beyond me. Really? Every day of your life you feel like this. My God. Um, but we should have a drink, really, because we, we hit uh, quite a significant milestone this week, didn't we? We hit half a million downloads, which I'm told is good. Yes, yes, it, it, it is excellent. Um, and uh, uh, producer Guy has just been showing me a, a deal signed by Joe Rogan the number one podcaster in the world, where he's sold the exclusive rights to his, pod- his podcast for $100 million, Kevin. $100 million. We don't need that much. I was discussing this the other day, funny enough, with Ed. I'll, I'll take 300,000 quid and spend the rest on being an angel on uh, theatrical shows. That's what I would do. Also, I like the fact the guy clearly taking the credit there by sending you that sort of thing, going, look, this is where, this is where I'm taking you. I'm taking towards a hundred million dollars, boys. A uh, hundred and fifty quid at a time. Yeah, it's very, it's brilliant. Um, now, coming up today, Kieran, you you spoke to crew boss David Artell, who were top of League Two before lockdown. Um, why do these people never want to talk to me? Can I just ask? Well, he, it's it's a really weird one because. Um, I, I met David. I, I do a little bit of teaching for the Lead Managers Association, so I met him. How do you fit that in? <laughs> well, it, it was it is a struggle. <laughs> uh, I, I had about three or four uh, radio shows during during the day, uh, and um, <laughs> Dave David's working on an assignment. So uh, yeah, we're just giving him a few a uh, few nudges and uh, you know, sort of okay. pieces of pieces of data. Um, and I thought cheekily, I'd ask him if he fancied coming on the show. You know, I, I'm still in awe of, of all of these people. Me, I'm in awe. You know, before before meeting you, I think my, my only ever encounter with a celebrity was when I met Animal from the Anti Nowhere League in a service station following a four nil defeat at Doncaster. <laughs> yeah, there are people out there who would put me and Animal on the same league, but that's that's very. Good. No, I'm with you. I still get anybody who works professionally in football even if it's a, a chief executive or a, a, somebody in the ticket office i've just i'm I, I i still miss going up to the ticket office just to, to talk to people i think it's it's brilliant you work in football that's amazing but of course they're all they're all in awe of you to be fair kieran we all know that anyway but that's um uh also on the show apart from kieran's attempt to make this the kieran Maguire show we have a self-sacrificing manager we have an angry club owner and a reluctant player but let's start kieran in Scotland. Um, we haven't visited for a couple of weeks, but it's been a huge week with the SPFL deciding it's unfeasible to complete the season. Who are the winners and losers in this? If well, any? I, I guess the winners to a certain extent are Celtic because they, they are celebrating nine in a row, um, although it's going to be now nine asterisk in a row. 
Um, yes. So yeah, that that will uh, that will sort of dampen it down a little bit. Uh, it, it was it was a bit sad to see some of the fans going to the grounds and waving flags around in a, in a time of social yeah. distancing. Uh, so that wasn't too smart. Um, Hearts are the biggest losers because they have been relegated. Although the fat lady has not yet sung her final song with regards to that. I, I, I think that Hearts are considering all options because there will be a financial consequence of being relegated to the Scottish Championship. Um, and uh, prior to the, the, the decision which was made uh, earlier this week uh, with regards to closing down the Scottish Premiership, they had all the clubs had been in discussion about sort of reinventing Scottish football in terms of the number of clubs per division. And I think Hearts are still hoping that that might be an opportunity which they can persuade other clubs to take up, although uh, I think it's it's a long shot at present. I'm not proud of myself for admitting this, Kieran, because it's not big or clever, but one of the other writers on Have I Got News For You is a huge Liverpool fan and, of course, can't wait for football to restart so Liverpool can claim the Premier League title. And, of course, every time he says that, I have to say, you mean the asterisk Premier League title which causes invisible concern, which is why I keep doing it, obviously. Um, so apart from Hearts, any other repercussions further down the table? Um, well, I, th- I think the, the main issue is that this will allow um, the SPFL to divvy out the money because it is linked to final league position. So now that those positions have been decided, um, clubs are, are living on fumes. They, whilst yeah. quite a few clubs have furloughed players and other members of staff, they've still got skeleton scarf there. Uh, they've still got cost being incurred. Um, and, and they need the cash to do so. So uh, this will mean that the table is effectively frozen um, as it is at present. And therefore, the SPFL, I think you get an extra you know, a couple of hundred thousand pounds per position in the SPFL. And, and this will therefore allow uh, Neil Doncaster and his team effectively to write out those checks, uh, which will you know, ideally allow clubs to continue in existence and you know I think that's always been our view um sort out the relegation and promotion and all that type of nonsense at a later date let's Mm. just make sure we have clubs who can be promoted and relegated and champions in existence when those decisions are made there's one or two voices of dissent if not of outright disagreement Aberdeen chairman Dave Cormack says that they will lose another million pound because of this um also by the by saying he wasn't expecting fans to be allowed back to watch games until early 2021, which the way things are at the moment, I would grab with both hands, to be perfectly honest. But it, it's a lot of money for a club the size of Aberdeen to lose, isn't it? Yes, uh, and, and you're between the devil and the deep blue sea. If you do play the matches, then there's the opportunity to get some extra money from the broadcasters. We don't know where we are in terms of uh, Sky and BT and, and their relationship with the SPFL. Um, certainly BT are in their final season. Um, of their deal before it becomes exclusively with Sky. So I can't see them being particularly benevolent and saying, mm. it's OK, we'll, we'll walk away, we'll, we'll pay up the final amount. So therefore, that will cause uh, a financial issue as far as the, the clubs are concerned, because they'll either have to give money back or accept that they're not going to get the final instalment. Um, and I think that's the issue that, that Dave Cormack was making. At the same time, it would have cost him money to put on matches. So mm. you know, whether that £1 million is a net or a gross figure, I, I think we really ought to uh, sort of just do, do our own sums on that. Well, it's interesting. You remember just before all this happened, we had Neil Doncaster, the, the chair of the SPFL, on the show. And possibly what he had to say about broadcasting rights was the most controversial, certainly the thing that Scottish fans picked up on. I'm I'm wondering, and this is not meant in any way at all as, a, as an insult, but if BT and Sky have got the English Premier League back, they, they might be a little less fussed about Scottish football. Um, yes and no. They, they need to fill space. And you you can't do that solely with uh, Premier League rights. Um, There are certain matches between certain teams that do get very good viewing figures for Sky as well. Um, So I think that that is reflected. It's also reflected in the price that they're paying, which is uh, a a fraction of the the figure that they're paying for the rights south of the border. Um, It could be that uh, if 
if the SPFL are in a position where they can't deliver all of the matches that they'd originally promised to Sky this season, um, there's a way of saying, well, you know, do you fancy another 20 next season? Or we've had this discussion before, some form of digital season ticket um, to fans mm. of Scottish clubs. And it could be that Sky, as sort of you know, would be the senior broadcaster in effect, will be providing those outside broadcast cameras you know, at, at, the, at, at the grounds which are not being televised live. So there's an opportunity for people to sit around the table to act like grown-ups, which you know, perhaps some of the some of the more vocal comments recently have haven't been. Uh, you know, sometimes it's it's best just to have a chat and sort things out rather than going shouting through the press, um, and and we'll take things from there. So uh, that's Scotland resolved for the moment. League Two resolved here for the moment. Chairman of Swindon, though Lee Power, rather pessimistically reckons that thirty to forty percent of League One and Two clubs may not make it through to next season without some sort of financial help. A, is he right? B, will they get it? Um, He's potentially right. I mean, if you take a look at the number of clubs that went bust when uh, ITV Digital collapsed in, was it 2003? Uh, I think it was around about 12 clubs went into administration in the EFL. Um, Going into administration is one thing. If you come out of it, going into liquidation and ending up like Berry is... What we want to avoid, and, and I, you yeah. know, I don't want to encourage clubs getting to go into administration. Um, I think Lee Power does have some vested interests. I, I don't know that people are aware there was a legal ruling um, which came through yesterday, nineteen pages of it, and as you can imagine, um, that that provided my nighttime reading <laughs> um, with regards to the sale of Lee of, of Swindon Town, um, and intriguingly. Um, it looks like 50% of the club might be owned by somebody else other than Lee Power. And that, that other 50% could be Gareth Barry, which is about a bizarre combination as you could possibly have. What, the mild, mild-mannered midfielder, Gareth Barry, him of the record number of appearances, Gareth Barry? That's the one, yes. Oh, uh, that's strange. Uh, it, the, the, legal, the legal case is between uh, Gareth's agent, a guy called Michael Standing, who used to be at uh, Aston Villa with uh, with Gareth. In fact, they were both signed together uh, when they are about 16. And um, he's, he's, he's representing either himself or Gareth. Um, and, and then halfway through the ruling, I was, I was, yeah, I was go- going through line by line, as, as I tend to do, um, and upset, and uh, it pops up, uh, Michael might not own the shares in the company. It could be Gareth Barry, but we're not quite sure. Oh, OK. Well, having said that he has a vested interest in this question, in, in a wider context, what sort of financial help could be coming for clubs? Well, uh, it really depends upon uh, where the funding comes from. We, we know that the standard methods of generating cash for clubs, match day, broadcasting, commercial, they're all pretty dead. Um, that leaves player sales. Well, you're not going to get any money in League One from player sales because there's 1,400 players who are out of contract on the 30th of June. Mm. So therefore, you're looking for external funding, either from new owners, either from the existing owners, or... Could it be that the government will step in? Um, yeah, th- there has been um, a deal struck effectively between the government and Rugby League to provide some cash in the form of grant stroke loans. Um, could something similar occur for lower league clubs? We, we have to wait and see. But we then in- enter that area of should football be given precedence over other industries? Well, no, it shouldn't. But if Rugby League's bloody well getting money, then football should. <laughs> that's a, surely that's an enormous precedent for the government to set, isn't it? I mean, I know the amounts of money involved in rugby league clubs, and God forbid I would want any rugby league club to go out of business, but you know, in, in their own communities, a League One, League Two club is every bit as important. So that's an, I didn't know that, and I'm encouraged to hear it, because it would be difficult for the government to turn around and say we're not helping football if we've already helped rugby league. And then again, cricket, horse racing, all sorts of other sports will say, well, hang on, you help them, what about us? Well, it, it all depends upon the nature of the money, and, and I think the small print hasn't yet been finalised. If it's loans, loans have to be repaid, right. and, and you know that that could cause those clubs to t- uh, to tip over. Um, so it, it's it's good to hear that at least somebody in charge of something in this country, whoever that is, um, does have some relationship with sport. Um, and let's just see how that uh, that rolls out over the next forthcoming weeks and months. It's, it's, I think it's lovely. Every now and again, you show this little spark of naivety when you say somebody in charge 
That's a, a lovely idea that would be. But also some degree of help for League One, League Two. Possible talk of a salary cap as well. Yes, um, it was. Uh, it came through in uh, in one of the newspapers this morning, and, and I know it has been discussed at chief executive level that um, having a wage cap um, in League One, there is one at present, but it doesn't work particularly well. So, you know, if, if the cap doesn't fit, we need to change it. Um, so. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> that's a proper teacher's joke though isn't it <laughs> yes. yeah a shite one <laughs> um so th- th- there's talk of uh, a wage cap of 2.5 million in league one and 1.25 million in league two but what do you do if you're Sunderland yeah because Sunderland's wage bill um I estimate will be in the region of 18 or 19 million pounds this season um so will there be special provisions, special rules for clubs that have just been relegated from the yeah. championship? Because they are, will, they will have players on, you know, on, you know, 10, 15, 20 grand a week on a regular basis. If so, is that just going to create a yo-yo mm. scenario whereby if you're given a special dispensation, if you've been relegated, that you don't have to have a 2.5 million pound wage cap uh, for a whole season. You just go and spend all your money on wages and make sure you return to the championship. Um, so it's 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 going to be complicated. The small print is going to be um, whether or not this results in a winner or a loser for for those clubs who've got ambitions to go yeah. higher. Um, now this one's going to need a bit of explaining for me, Kieran, which is um, good really because that's the nature of the pod. Essentially, I, I I'm confused, and you bring some light into the darkness. Paul Conway, who's the co-owner of Barnsley, is threatening to sue the EFL if outstanding financial fair play cases in the championship aren't concluded this season. And I kind of, my first instinct to reading that question is what's he got to do with him? Um, why is he so concerned that this should happen? And this doesn't seem a time to be vindictive, it appears to me. So I, I don't like to think that about other people. So I'm hoping that you'll say this is all done from the best of reasons. Uh, this is all done from the best of reasons if, if you're a Barnsley fan or if you're a Barnsley owner. <laughs> and you know, th- there is self-interest in, in everything these days. And there's good things and there's bad things about self-interest. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm not going to slaughter clubs, but there's always, there's always a, uh, perhaps a reason behind these, these issues. Um, Barnsley are presently seven points adrift at the bottom of the championship. Um, there are two outstanding charges against Derby County and Sheffield Wednesday, which could result in significant points deductions. Uh, and and there, was, uh, there has been talk of the, the deductions being 12 points for breach of financial fair play, plus up to another nine points deduction if um, there is evidence of what we refer to as aggravating factors, if there has been a deliberate attempt to mislead the people in the EFL. So we, we don't know what's going on. It could be that Derby and Sheffield Wednesday have got watertight cases mm. and, and they get dismissed, as we've, as we've been discussing recently, with the likes of Stevenage. So um, the concern of uh, Barnsley and, and, uh, and Mr Conway is that these charges haven't been finished yet. And it could be that Barnsley end up being relegated to League One. Um, I think there's a good chance that League One will go into hibernation next season. So he'll drop down into a division where there's no football taking place. I think there's a greater chance of it taking place in the Championship. But you get an extra £7 million of TV money if you're in the Championship. So his concern, if the points deductions are not taking place until next season for Derby and Sheffield Wednesday... If they had taken place this season, it could have meant the difference between Barnsley staying up and Sheffield Wednesday going down and vice versa. I'm I'm not going to follow up on that hibernation comment because we need to move on to other things and to uh, the interview. But I suspect we may be getting questions about it for next Monday's episode because that's a little bit of a bombshell to drop there to to say that you don't expect football to be played at least at the start of next season in in those divisions. Um, the threat to sue the EFL will, will they take that seriously? I mean, what's I mean, what would he sue them for? The amount of money between the Championship and League One, or well, I, I think it will it'll be for loss of revenue. Um, what what we have seen over the course of 
the last few months is that there's an awful lot of threats to sue, whether or not these uh, uh, crystallise, we're not sure. I mean, Sheffield Wednesday have threatened to sue the EFL for uh, issues to do with financial fair play, saying it's besmirched our reputation. We've got spats between Middlesbrough and some of the clubs. We, you know, there was a big spat between Leeds and Derby last season where yeah. all of a sudden, oh, we're going to get the lawyers involved. Um, so let, let's, let's just wait and see. Um, but uh, it it doesn't at a time of you know global health crisis. Uh, it, it is pretty unseemly that the first thing that people seem to do is to uh, you know go to our silver tongue friends in the legal profession, mm. um, many of whom are good. I'm 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 talking with one of them tonight uh, at six o'clock. Uh, we're doing a joint presentation between us and the law, Kevin. Us and the law. Us? You say, price you say fo- us? With price of football and well, the law. It would have been nice if I knew anything about this. Yeah, again, along with your interviews with League Two managers, I'm uh, these bombshells are dropped. dropped all over. Okay, what have we got to do with the law? Well, um, I think we're trying to explain the numbers where they say whether they're legal or not. Okay, maybe we should check. We should probably check that before we start doing the pod, shouldn't we? <laughs> it's a bit late now to start checking whether any of this is legal or not. Um, to... Brief uh, journeys to Manchester, and I don't think we need to spend much time on these. First of all, United have written to their season ticket holders to offer a refund for the remaining four games. I mean, are, are you expecting it to be like Partick Fistful on a much bigger scale that most of the United fans will say, we're fine, we don't we don't need the refund? Um, I think it's a slightly different relationship. Um, what, what are you effectively doing if you're giving the money back to the club? You're giving it to the Glazers. Yeah. Um, and given that uh, Manchester United did announce a couple of months ago that they were going to spend up to $35 million buying back their own shares from the market would suggest that their financial position is much stronger than the likes of Partick and Tranmere and those clubs where the fans have sort of in the main said, if we can afford to give the money back and appreciate not all can, um, then that that appears to be the, the, the view taken by the fan base. Yeah, even as I started into that question, because again, most of the questions I start into, I don't prepare beforehand, but halfway through, I realised it was a strange comparison between Man United and Partick Thistle. Uh, no disrespect to Partick Thistle fans. And also, Man City's appeal against their two-year ban from Europe starts on June the 8th. So that is going ahead via Zoom, I presume. It, it is going ahead. Yes, it will be done on a virtual basis. Um, I think Manchester City are desperate to have this done and dusted before we return to playing matches. And I suspect some of the other clubs will be listening just as intently as City because um, if the if the ruling is upheld, then the side who finishes fifth in the Premier League, all of a sudden acquires that remaining Champions League place next season, mm. which is worth, if some form of football returns, you know, is, is worth up to £100 million for the recipient. So you will see Manchester United, Wolves, Sheffield United, um, you know, Leicester, you know, all of these clubs are very, very intrigued um, and, and will be uh, listening out for that, that final decision made by Cass, assuming that that is the final decision and City don't decide to take it further through the, the, uh, the general law courts as opposed to the sports law courts. Now, at the moment, uh, Premier League football is due to restart on or around June the 12th, behind closed doors, obviously, but... As we know, with the way the coronavirus is going in this country, dates are very flexible. But Troy Deeney is the most vocal of the players who is concerned for his own health safety, uh, as he's perfectly entitled to do, and says he won't go back into training. Now, as an ex-human resources manager, I'm kind of interested in this uh, because the the first duty of care for every employer is is to maintain the health and safety of their employees, and that's 100% impossible to do so under normal circumstances, let alone under these. So any player who's reluctant to go back to work, I think, needs to be listened to. But what do you think are the financial implications here? My my own view is it's different for a high-profile player like Troy Dean than it would be for a kid in his first year on a contract at a, a, a club in the Championship, for example. I think Watford would be more likely to handle it with kid gloves than they would uh, a lesser player, because after all, he's one of the players that could get him out of trouble if the league starts back. Um, Well, well, my view is the same as yours. It's it's an individual decision. Um, Looking at uh, Troy's comments, uh, he's he's got a five-month-old son with with, uh, breathing difficulties. Yeah. it's a no-brainer. And I think look, looking at the comments from Nigel Pearson, he appears to be backing Troy up as well. 
Um, yeah. So on, on on that basis, you would think that the the club would would honour the contract. Uh, I think it would also cause a, a hugely negative impact upon the dressing room. Uh, yeah, when, when your captain yeah. is effectively being singled out, um, then uh, that, that can only have a negative impact. Certainly looking at the reaction on social media yesterday, um, the majority of fans took the view that, that they can perfectly understand where Troy is um, in terms mm. of his family, in terms of ethnicity. Uh, you know, we, we've seen the data come out that people from BAME mm. backgrounds are more likely to catch the disease. So... Um, this, this was something we actually discussed uh, with uh, with David Artell, uh, and we'll come to that a bit later. Um, but uh, I, I don't think that Watford will will pursue the matter um, any further. Well, I, I I hope not, because it's and all those people, and they are few in number, who imply on social media. I, this, the jury is still out on social media for me. I have to say, but all those people who imply that it's simply somebody who's reluctant to pull on the, the colours and what for the representatives club are just completely wrong because there is there is context to this. And the, the context is that he has a small child who has underlying health conditions. So, of course, he wouldn't want to put himself... And the, the fact is, you know, I, I, I know people at, at Palace, for example. I know ground staff there. I know the measures they are taking. But the, the fact is, as I said before, it's impossible under normal circumstances to 100% guarantee the safety of any employee anywhere now you could say well in that case everybody should take a risk and go to work but when you can isolate the risks and they're there then of course you don't take them and it's it's ludicrous to suggest that he's doing that for anything other than his reasons of his family that's right i mean troy deeney is a husband he's a father he's not a commodity yeah um and, and i think that a lot of the criticism is coming from fans of uh, Liverpool and Leeds because they think it's all linked to Watford wanting to get the season abandoned and for the Premier League, the asterisks, the the promotion issues. Um, I I, I don't think there's any evidence to support that. Uh, You know, he's he's doing... And any father who does not do what is best by his kid's interest shouldn't be calling them a father, in my view. Yeah, of course. And the the thing is, we know... uh, a limited number of footballers at all levels. All footballers want to do is play football. And that's why I get really cross when people talk about a lack of commitment. The one thing that all players will give you is a lack of commitment. Some of them might not be as good as others, but what they will give you, was that a double negative? What they will not give you is a lack of commitment. They will give you commitment. Yeah, that's a guy won't edit that out. So people go home and just say, oh, Kevin's getting older, isn't he? But that 100% commitment is a given. And we saw that with the Bundesliga starting at the weekend. That after the first five minutes of every game, when the players got over the strangeness of it all, they, the tackles were flying in. The, I was I was very pleased when about 16 minutes into the the, the very first game, somebody dived. I thought, this is great. They're back. They're, they're back. They really want to play football. This is great. Um, and a, a, another a manager now, um, a, what you'd call a, a, a decent gesture, I think, from, from Nigel Clough, who stepped down at Burton, but for the, the right reasons, right? Well, he's he's done it to try to save the jobs of other people. Yeah. Now, Nigel Clough has been at Burton. He's had two spells there. Um, and, and he's decided to part ways along with his assistant manager and along with the first team scout. They're, they effectively come as a unit because um, he felt that uh, it gives other people, you know, backroom staff who will be on lower wages, it gives them a, a greater chance of uh, being able to preserve their jobs on a long-term basis. What's happened is that one of the senior players has effectively taken on the job as manager, uh, sort of taking on on sort of a player-manager role, and, and that will overall reduce the wage bill. Burton Albion financially are one of the best-run clubs in in all of the ninety-two. You know, they they they, they simply don't try to live beyond their means. Mm. Uh, they've, they've, you know, if you think about it, they've come from non-league. They've got as far as the championship. When they went down, no whinging from them. You know, we've enjoyed our time there. Yeah. Um, and now we're getting back to, to living in League One and living in a League One budget and environment. Yeah, I only have one issue with Burton, and it's a trivial one. That's their badge, which is the worst badge in English football, without a doubt. It, it looks like a pregnant Eiffel Tower. It's, it's, other than that, brilliant club. Um, now... Uh, it's time for another freelance go-it-alone attempt to make this the Kieran Maguire show. Um, with an interview with, with Kieran Alexander manager David Artell. Um, just for a bit of context, they were top of League Two before all this happened. They're a club renowned 
for bringing players on. Their financial model is that every two or three years they will sell a decent player for five million quid to normally to Man City or a club, and then that's enough to keep them going. So um, they're a club that have historically lived within their means. But you and David had a little chat, and here it is. This episode of The Price of Football is brought to you by the AI-powered workspace Notion. What if you had access to tomorrow's tools today? In Notion, you do. It's the AI-powered workspace where any team can turn ideas into action. My career is sort of a bit like being a butterfly, and I'm always jumping from project to project. So therefore, Notion helps me from summarising meetings notes and automatically generating action items to getting answers to any question in seconds. If you can think it, you can make it. And Notion is for everyone, whether you're a Fortune 500 company or a freelance football finance lecturer. You can try Notion for free when you go to notion.com slash price of football. That's all lowercase letters, notion.com slash price of football and start turning ideas into action. That's notion.com slash price of football. Hi, I'm Steve Lamack, and every week I'm joined by Music Allies Head of Insight, Stuart Dredge, on The Price of Music, the weekly podcast all about the money behind the music industry. In each episode, we discuss the very latest goings-on in the music business and dig into the finances behind the big stories. So whether you're a music lover who just wants to know more about what really goes on in the industry, or you're an aspiring musician, manager or label owner who wants some inside knowledge on how Spotify's financial model really works, or what the future holds for independent live music venues, this is a show for you. Subscribe to The Price of Music in your podcast app now. See you soon. And I'm delighted today to have a special guest on the show. Um, it's David Artell, the, the manager. Is it coach or manager? What, what's your official title, David? Manager. Manager? Yeah. Uh, is, is, is there a difference, in your opinion, between the two roles? Or uh, when, I, when, when I first got offered the job, I got asked, what do I want to be? Uh, and I didn't know, because I didn't know the difference. I, I, I do think there's a distinct difference. Um, and I think they are sort of what they say on the tin. Yep. <laughs> putting too fine a point on it. Um, I, I think a coach immediately offers the opportunity of responsibility to others. I think a manager is more likely to accept that responsibility or maybe the circumstances dictate that he has to take the responsibility. Fair enough, fair enough. And I guess, first of all, Congratulations on being promoted. Uh, you're the you're the manager of Crew Alexander, who who last Friday, as subject to ratification, have been promoted from League Two to League One. H- how did you celebrate? I haven't yet because we haven't got there yet. Right. The, the, the critical words are subject to ratification, and I don't count my chickens until they're hatched. So. The fat lady's not singing just yet, but I think she's warming up her pipes. Very much so. Um, what, what was the reaction within the club when, when that decision was made? Um, I don't think... I, I, I've only spoke to the players... I spoke to the players on Friday after um, because they're all furloughed and I, and I only speak to them to see if their welfare's all right. So that's the first thing. And then um, they've been given plans from weeks back that they've been religiously following, um, which has been, or to the best of our knowledge, when I say, is everyone all right? Everyone fit and healthy? Is everyone still doing the plans? Is You know, all that kind of stuff. Yes, Gaffer, thanks very much, Gaffer. Um, but obviously on Friday, you know, there's a WhatsApp group, and they all went, brilliant, no more running. At which point I'm thinking, hang on a minute, this isn't, you know, and how do we get around that sort of scenario of saying, you probably need to do this for your welfare, Um because we might still be coming back. So we had to have a, I had to just have a chat with him and say, listen, I can't tell you what to do. You know I can't tell you what to do because you're furloughing. Um, but it, it's not been ratified yet, so it might be worth you doing that 5K time trial tomorrow and just check, you know, keeping on top of your mental health and your physical health for another week or so. And I have to say, they've all done that. as far Well, as, as far as the best of my knowledge. In, in this remote world that we live in now. Terrific, terrific. I mean, what was Crew's position? Were, were you in favour before the meeting of cancelling the season and, and making the decision which has been made? Um, the, the the upshot is I think everyone deep down wants to 
carry on playing. I think every fan does, every player does, every official does. Um, but there is also, you cannot dismiss the fact that if we carried on playing of the 24 teams in League 2, six could quite easily go to the wall because there's 120 grand for the testing. You've got to unfurl all the players for six weeks. Then you've got to play for another four weeks. And by the time you've finished, you've got three months of non-furlough money to be added to the 120 grand for the testing. Suddenly, to play nine games is going to cost you... It depends on your budget, obviously, but half a million pound upwards with absolutely zero pence coming back in the other way. And that could quite possibly tip... I say half a dozen. It could be more, it could be less. You know, I, I, I was reading the other day, the ITV Digital, when that went bump in 2005-2006, they, they estimated that revenues went down um, between 10 and 20% and 12 clubs went into administration within a year. Well, they're saying that match day revenue in, certainly in the lower leagues, is way above 30%. Does that mean that 12 clubs are going to go to the wall? Well, I don't know, but I don't think you can take that risk. We've seen what happened with Berry, um not so long back. It's devastating for communities. Never mind the exchequer in the long run and the government to lose all these football clubs. And it's not just the people that's employed. It's the sort of chippy across the road. It's the petrol station, that local petrol station that survives on people filling up the cars because they've just been to the game and all the pubs in the surrounding area. It's, it's you know, people who spend the morning in the town centre and buy a shop from, uh, buy a sandwich from the shop in town kind of thing. It's all the knock-on effect. And and I think there's a greater need to preserve that as opposed to just the integrity of one football season. But very much so. I mean, I, I saw the saw the comments from uh, Swindon Towns Lee, Lee Power, and he felt that 30 yeah. to 40% of clubs in League One and Two wouldn't survive uh, yeah. or make it to the start of next season. So yeah, that that is fully understandable. Um, so you're, if we if we're working on the basis that you are going to be promoted to League One, hopefully, yeah. If we have this conversation ne- this time next week, yeah, that that might have gone through. How how does that leave you as as the manager? Because clearly you you've got to start planning, but you're planning for something which might not take place. Uh, very difficult, I'd say. Um... However, everyone's in the same boat and as opposed to seeing it as a, a negative or a why me, you know, the old Snow White sort of cylinder, uh, you know, sort of mindset, I, I see it as an opportunity to improve, stay ahead of the curve, um, you know, steal a march on your rivals. Because it's business at the end of the day, it's football. No, we want 48 teams in League 1 and League 2, another 24 in the Championship. Um, you know, of course, we, that's but we want to be the best of the lot. So we've just got to crack on. There's so much ambiguity, there's so much uncertainty and unknowns. Um, but to steal a, a quote from Donald, Donald Rumsfeld, you know, the, the known unknowns and the, you know, what we know and all that kind of stuff, if we know that we don't know it, well, that's a start. It's actually a starting point. Um, of course, we'd prefer to know it. Because there's more certainty. I don't think there's going to be many clubs uh, bringing in players in the next month. I think once the championship season gets up and running, four or five games in, certainly by the end of it, I think there might be some movement. But even then, I think it's going to be a slow burner until we certainly know when we're going back. And when, more importantly, I think when crowds are going to be, you know, back in the stadiums. So... I think it's going to be a, a slow process. I think the old, as you know, as a economist, the old supply and demand will come in, and the fact that there's going to be less jobs available, and there's going to be a, a big old pool of players available, will dictate market conditions and market trends. So there's all that to consider, and I can't see many football clubs spending a lot of money. You know, in the next few weeks, that's for sure. Right. Yes. So, so, 
So players are still in furloughs, you say. You're, you're effectively, I was reading on the, the club website, you're effectively acting with the skeleton staff. And that's yeah. going to be for the, for the foreseeable future until the, the fog starts to lift. I would imagine so. There's, there's, again, I, I try and choose my, cares, my words carefully because I could say, yes, of course. And then the government stopped the furlough scheme tomorrow. I know they've said it's going yeah. to October, but things can change on a, a fairly daily basis at the minute. Um, but I can't see the, you know, any member of staff being unfurloughed before the need to come back. Whereas mm. normally we have the players in twice a week during the close season. So when everyone else is off on their holidays, we give them a couple of weeks off and they're back in Tuesday, Thursday. That's probably not going to happen this year. So, you know, that's a bit of give and take, a bit of amendment that, that has to happen to, to, to protect, you know, our football club and they'll be chairman and chief execs up and down the country making decisions some painful some maybe slightly inconsequential like the one i've just said um making them decisions quite regularly i would imagine at the minute right so i mean league two i was certainly from from my point of view looking as, as an outsider of the game you can see the rationale behind the decision you move up to league one and things are getting a bit more complicated. We appear to have two camps. I've seen the comments from the likes of Joey at Fleetwood and you've got Darren McAntony at Peterborough. It's being driven by finance. And people say to me, it's all about the money. Well, I'm going, well, yeah. What, 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 what what's, else? What's the, what's the problem with that? I mean, yeah. you know, none, of, none of us go to work for, for, for the air. So yeah. I, I don't have a huge issue with that. Um, no. My concern is that I, I, I would, I'm the same as you. I want 48 clubs in Leagues 1 and 2, 24 yeah. clubs in the Championship. Um, do you think that there's a risk if, uh, if the decision is made to uh, carry on in League 1, that the costs which you, you expressed earlier, the costs in terms of uh, the the uh, the testing, the tracing, and all, and all of the the health issues, plus the fact that you're going to have to take players out of furlough, isn't that going to have a, a risk for League One? Because there's plenty of clubs who are are broadly about the same size as Crew, and surely yeah. that their finances will be just as uh, as precarious. Uh, I've got no doubt that'll be the case. You know, before coronavirus came along, was South End in a um, a, a financially stable and secure environment. You'll know better than me, Kieran. Um, but I can't imagine they they'll have six to nine months of resources tucked away in a drawer. And and I, I've, I'm using South End because I know they've had their recent, very recent history. I'm not trying to be disparaging to South End and and their fans. Uh, but I would imagine that there'll be other clubs that maybe aren't as obvious as that. Um, because of their fan base, their resources, their income. Um, maybe the, the fact that last August they've pushed their boat out for one season yep. because they think they've got a good chance of promotion. You know, there's all very subtle factors um, such, as, such as that that suddenly, you know, one, one, one man ownership of clubs, what, you know, a chairman with a couple of sort of, let's call them... Uh, Directors that are just there in name, and suddenly his business is going belly up, and he's having to find so much more money. Whilst all the while he's working twenty three and a half hours a day trying to keep his own business afloat, that you, you, there's there'll be clubs like that that you don't even think of, um, you know. So so there's all that um, you know sort of back backstory and background that has to, I believe to be considered over and above simply just saying, we must finish the season, we must not finish the season. For me, I think that the, the first thing is the health of everyone. There's, there's, there's no point having football clubs if you haven't got people who's going to come and watch or play because they're all dead. Well, that's not... <laughs> that's just stupid. Then, followed by the actual um, survival of the football clubs... And then the integrity of the season. I think that's, you know, and I, I understand where Andy Pill is coming from, where Darren McCann is coming from. 
They want the integrity of that season finished, this season finished, and I understand that. It can't be to the detriment of Southend. And I'm using Southend because I've just used them before. Or you can insert any club, Rochdale, Shrewsbury, Accrington, Bristol Rovers. It, it, it's, it's, I'm using all League One clubs, it's irrespective. You know, there's, there's a, I think there's a duty to the actual game as a whole that all these chairman, chief executives have got to take and consider. I use Carol Shanahan in League Two, Port Vale owner, eighth in the table, one or two points outside the playoffs, voted to end the season because she knew that if she didn't, one, she probably didn't have the support anyway, but, but one, if she didn't, she'd, it'd cost her a lot of money. Mm. But secondly, it might put Macclesfield, Oldham, you know, XXX clubs out of business. And she felt, and I admire her for it, she's actually put the greater good of the game over her own um, opportunity over a nine-game period in one season. I think that should be commended. That, that's right. I, mean, I, th- I think a lot of people have, have spotted uh, her, her approach and there's been nothing but praise. And, and also, yeah. if, if you look at the comments on social media from Port Vale fans themselves, they're actually yeah. really proud of their club because they now feel yeah. that they've got a set of values which they can be associated with, which is the greater good. Um, and, and there's a lot yeah. to admire there. I mean, you, you, you mentioned the players, and I think this is one of the stakeholders in the game. And I know it's sort of a management speak word, stakeholders, but you know, I'm, I'm a fan. That's my role as a, within football. Yours is a manager. You've got a role. Um, in terms of the players, um, I know they all want to play football, but looking at the comments which have come out from the likes of uh, Socio Aguero, Troy Deeney, Glenn Murray in the Premier League, um, as a former player yourself, can, can you understand their viewpoint as well? Uh, of course. Of course. Um, and there's no right and wrong answer. It's very much individual. I've got players who who live with, a, you know, one of their parents is a pharmacist and has had coronavirus. I, I've got a player who's um, tried for a very long time to have children and whose wife's about to give birth to twins. Why, why would he put himself in any way, shape or form Um in, in a position that damages something that they've waited 15 years for. That's, very much so. It, I mean, it, I'm, I'm it, with you in, entirely. The, the, the gravity of it is is huge. You know, they, they won't remember me or Croizandra. They'll, they'll remember the coronavirus in a very small way if it doesn't affect the birth of their children. Can you imagine if it, something happened disastrously? Now... You can give me facts and figures about risk and likelihood, and I, and I would accept that. But I wouldn't be saying to any of my players, if you feel uncomfortable, I'm going to make you play. We pay your wages, you must play. There's no chance. There's no chance, because I think it's a moral issue. There's a, it's an it's a, it, integrity and values issue. You know, and I just think, you know, don't get me wrong, 95% of our players want to play, but there's one or two that have said, because of perfectly valid personal circumstances. And, you know, I've seen Choi Dini saying he's not going to, he's got a, I think he's a four-year-old or a four-month-old who's got breathing problems. Fine. And and the cynics amongst, you know, the population will go, out because he's a millionaire, don't need to. No, I think he's just been a, a, a human being that loves his family. Terrific. Yeah, absolutely. He's a dad. You know, he's a dad. He's, he's a, a dad. First. Yeah. And, and I, I can't speak on behalf of football fans, of course. I'm just one football fan. Um, th- there is too much tribalism in football in terms of you see it through the lens of your club yeah. and your club's opportunities over the course of the next three months. But sometimes I think as fans, we just need to take a step back. I would um, agree with you. But... I also think that's very hard to do, but for for, for some, yeah. I do. Uh, you know, especially if you've had a vested interest, and especially if you've got a vested financial interest. Fair enough. But I, I don't disagree with you. One one jot. Cool, cool. Um, 
in in terms of how you think this is going to to leave the lower leagues i mean yeah we're we're all we're all guessing into the future um you know, for a club like crew which is reliant on a significant amount of its revenue from season ticket sales from match day sales and so on um realistically can can you return to football without a paying audience and be reliant upon tv money and, and a bit of sponsorship the, 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 the short answer is yes um the, the long answer is um we would then become even more reliant on our other streams of income primarily player sales um because that's our business model um and that's where sort of that's where not I would say more pressure comes my way. You know, I think I'm in one of the most stable jobs in the country in terms of football managers' jobs. Um, but then that's part of the role. That's that, that's you've got to take the rough with the smooth. And if the chairman and the board, which they haven't, say right, we're going to have to sell some players, make sure they're developing and make sure they are, you know, primed, ready to sell. It's nothing different from what I've been used to for the last three and a half years. Um, now that call hasn't come yet, but I expect it to come. Well, I suppose it depends when fans come back in the stadium um, and and refunds for season ticket holders. You know how many season tickets we sell. There's there's, there's that many variables to it. Um, however, the the culture at our place, the business model will remain unchanged, and and that will happen. So. Now we've got the way I see it is we've got a great opportunity because the market, in terms of uh, budgets and and financial restraints, are coming all the way back down towards us because you know, we we I think we had the third lowest playing budget in the whole of League Two last year. So if we do get promoted to League One, I'm pretty certain it's not going to go much higher than third bomb. <laughs> um, whereas all your other football clubs will will be hurtling back towards us, and maybe their financial restrictions, turmoil, call it what you will, I see it as an opportunity to, to steal a march. Um, and hopefully that's what we've got to do, or that's what will happen. I mean, do you think your business model is going to find it a little bit harder because potentially we've got 1,400 players at the end of contract yeah. come June, and we don't know when League One and League Two are going to return? So if the chairman says to you, David, we, we, we think we need to sell a player or two, do you expect market values to fall? I, I, I think I know market values will fall. <laughs> um, I suppose it's it's a it's a case of by how much, and um, I think it's also being honest with the players and, and and just we're we're honest as a football club and we say exactly how we are, where we are. We, we're not um, we don't hide things. We don't go no because. That football club's come in for you. Your value's just gone up threefold, or we're in that desperate need to sell, we'll let you go for anything. There's an objective view. Yes, does a cash flow statement come into the reckoning? Of course it does. We're all adults. We all, you know, the, the chairman sits there, the, the 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 rest of the board sit there, I sit there, you know, and we have an adult discussion, an open and honest and frank discussion about it, and 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 come to a conclusion, and and sometimes. You know, uh, 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 a manager might have more sway, and other times the cash flow statement and the the company secretary might have more sway. Um, there's no right and wrong answer to to any of these things. I think that's the sort of nuances from club to club, from sort of setup, from structure, from culture. You know, we've got to be very mindful. If we let one of our players walk out the door for two hundred and fifty grand, that can that can chop our own legs off. Our own business model, we're setting. A, we could set a precedent, but at the same time, we don't want to be asking two and a half million pounds for all our players, because then there's no business model. So we're very mindful of where we are, and and when you throw coronavirus into the mix, does that change things? Of course it does. How, where, when? Well, you don't know until you're in the midst of them decision-making processes of them. Uh, you know, you know, of of the little nuances and the detail. So it's easy for me to say one thing when I could end up doing a completely different thing. Or we as a football club can in six weeks' time. So you've just got to embrace the challenge, and you know, and 
and, and have that open and honest communication and dialogue to know exactly where brilliant. you're going. Brilliant. Well, I, th- I think those clubs which are, have been honest, I, th- I think they'll get a lot coming back from the players because everybody's looking for more certainty in life. And, and if you are working for an organisation, yeah. you know, we've had talks at where I work because we're losing all of our income streams. And, and some of those that those conversations yeah. haven't been pleasant, but you know, at least I've come out of it saying, well, I know where I stand. And I think that's what people want. They just want, when there's so much uncertainty coming from other factions of society, and this isn't a party political comment, you know, we're not into politics on the, on the podcast, no. Um, no. there's an awful lot of vagueness and we understand why anything which can help to crystallise certainty is, is going to be uh, taken on positively, in my view. I that's how I that's how I work. That's how a football club works. Um, one of the, my biggest bugbears as a player was being lied to as a man from a manager. Just be honest. I'm a big boy. You know, if you don't if you don't like me or don't want to play me or you prefer him, just tell me. I'm going to work hard and prove you wrong, but I'm not going to cause you a problem. But don't 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 fill fill me with loads of crap. Because I, cause I, I think I think I was, and I think most footballers are quite intuitive, and they see through it. They just go, yeah, right, whatever, you're just lying to me. So just be honest with them. And whether that's a real tough conversation or a, or a real nice conversation, because most managers are honest when it's a real nice conversation. Well, I'm afraid you, you, you get the, the money to, to have them tough conversations and be honest with players. And I think society is going that way. You know the younger generation. I don't think they can handle very well. You know, sort of rubbish being thrown at them. So just be honest with them. Then there's no comebacks on, on me. I, I don't get me wrong. I'm a crap liar anyway because I ain't got a, you know, I ain't got a good enough memory to remember them. You know, so so there's no point doing it. Just be honest with people, because then I think that way you you, there is certainty in not knowing, which I know is a bit of a um, contradiction of terms. But like you just said, in, in you know, in your own uh, profession, in your own workplace, you sort of know where you stand, and I think, I think that gives comfort in itself. I, don't, I, I, I think that's the foundation for what to, to then deliver your best work, really, or at least try to deliver your best work. Great, great. I mean, thank you so much. Because uh, one final question: um, Do you think? That you know, and again, big crystal ball here. Do you think that English football can continue with ninety-two full-time professional clubs? As we, yeah, we, we, we've got, we, we're in the middle of coronavirus <laughs> now. Realistically, we, we're not going to be seeing football before paying audience this calendar year. I think that's a, you know, a fair assessment from for the noises which are coming out. Mm-hmm. Um, do you think clubs might have to go part-time in League Two? Um, I think if they did, I think they'd only be replaced by full-time teams lower down. I think there's a whole stack of big or wealthy or former or both and former league clubs waiting in the wings. So I I always think there'll be um, 92 full-time professional league clubs. Whether they're... I think it's more probably more of a pertinent question to ask it of the conference or, or the national league um but i can't see i can't see the efl diminishing in terms of number or if it is it would be a temporary measure because i think there's you know who would have thought harrogate town are the 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 um, you know they've got a case to be promoted into the football league you know Harry, I've got. I've played at Harrogate Town in friendlies. Um, you know, it's 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 a lovely part of the world, Harrogate. I have to say, um, a real nice, you know, spa town and all the rest of it. It's not renowned for its football, and it certainly probably wasn't five years ago in terms of out. You know, in the in the national game. So there's all these clubs. You know, I can remember Eastley a few years ago spending a fortune. You know, you've got your Stockports, your Chesterfields, your Wrexhams. You know, your Dagenham's, your older shots. There's, there's your Fylde's who's spending a fortune and still not got there. There's lots and lots of uh, big clubs at that level, you know, relatively speaking, that are desperate to get in the football league. 
and we'll move hell and high water to get there. And if that means because of six clubs have gone into administration and want to go part time or want to go down a league, I'm uh, I'm pretty certain they'd go. They'd be the first to put their hands up to to take a place in the EFL. Well, and that's 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 quite consoling, quite for me, because I, mean, I I'm quite fortunate. I do quite a lot of travelling, and one of the things which foreign students tell me all the time is England's not that big a country how how do you manage to have 92 clubs say because it's it's part of our DNA you know what well, yeah. I, I was born getting those shoot tables with the the cardboard yeah. stickers and there were 92 then and there should be 92 yeah. that I, I that hope God willing the day I die as well well that's I, I, I can't see that changing I can't I, I read something in the mail last week which you know, I think you should always take. I think you should put it on. You know, after Wikipedia, if you're doing reference searches of the Daily Mail. But um, there was they were talking about the leagues one and league two and the conference all merging and becoming a a, a regional league. And you just think that's just crackers. The 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 the, the pain public don't want that. Mm. It'll it'll create an even greater polarization between the top and the bottom. I think there's already one create or being created between the Premier League and the Championship which is why Championship clubs are selling grounds to themselves and you know um, having fake taxi companies and all that kind of stuff that we all know about um, and I think that's created, that's creating a polarisation there you don't want another one from top to bottom because that just it just stretches the game and eventually then you might only see 72 clubs as opposed to 92 so the the one of the the greatest things in this foot, in this country regarding football is the strength and the depth of the pyramid if you go anywhere on the continent they, they might have got three leagues in far bigger countries with far greater populations um so to have 92 clubs because we're not America with 32 NFL teams and you travel four hours and you have a barbecue on the back of your truck. You go four minutes down the road, you know, and, and your granddad were born, you know, five doors down from the ground and, you know, used to shovel coal before he went to the ground. I know it sounds all very, um, you know, nostalgic and it is, but that's the beautiful game in this country. And that, you know, it, it's not that get quite passionate about it. That's the protection. That's what it's got to be. Now, it's easy for me to say because I don't put my hand in my pocket to keep a football club going. Um, but the, the, that's got to be somewhere on the line, the overarching thing of all these football clubs, whether it's Man United and Liverpool or Stevenage and Macclesfield. There's, there's got to rem- that's got to remain because that, for me, is the part of the USP. Well, that, I think it's a real positive to, to take. Um... Thank you so much, David, for giving up your time. I know that you've you've just come from looking at some spreadsheets, I believe. Um, so, uh, yes, as, as you can imagine, I get quite excited at the thought of that. But I'm I'm very much in a minority. <laughs> um, have a good summer. Best wishes to you and your family and everybody at Crew. And uh, we look forward to seeing you in League One. Um, and I'll try and get to the matches at least one match myself and, and uh, I think I owe you a pint at least so thank you again you're more than welcome thank you very much so that's I mean that's it's 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 probably best that I don't join in these things Kieran because my brand of low-level sarcasm gets in the way sometimes and I think I think people like David are more you know happier and more open with with somebody like you because they know that you're not going to jump in with a hilarious comment but it's it's interesting that because as a player, he's he's concerned with the health or for the health of the players uh, over the financial issue is quite it's quite refreshing to hear, isn't it? Very much so. I mean, I, I came out of that feeling really positive um, that somebody yeah. who's working in football um, clearly he he cares about the players, he cares about the club, um, he he works extremely hard, but he's he's got you know the values that. We've tried to get through. You know, I think we, you and I are fairly united on this. That uh, you know, the role of the club in terms of being this this centre point of a local community, mm. um, and he, and he's aware of that. At the same time, he's he's got a responsibility to towards these young men, uh, and uh, you know, he wants to develop them. Uh, he, he was gutted 
uh, about being promoted the way it was yeah. because as a player he's been promoted the right way yeah. you know and you know, i think the thing which he said you know I, i've been kissed by by 60 year old women the day we got promoted when i was 22 and i loved every second of it because i knew just how much it, it meant it, to that them. sounds like the start of at least three of your stories when you, when you said that, I said, I don't know, which ones are you going there? Which which country are we going back to here? It's great. And, and the thing with crew as well is because they are a club like many in the Northwest who, who are in the shadow. It's very hard for them to attract fans. If you go to crew, you don't see many kids wearing crew fans. They they know they will probably be getting four or 5,000 people, which I suppose in some ways helps budget things. But it's it's difficult. These, these, the existence of these clubs is very important in the shadow of the, the super clubs. Because as we've said on every, probably every second pod, for the 5,000 crew fans, they are every bit as important to them as United are to the 50 million fans around the world. So it's it's important that we hear the voices from these people. And I, I hope that when the, the inevitable ITV2 drama documentary is made about football and, and COVID, that we hear more from people like him and from people like Nigel Clough than we do from the from the Giants basically because these are stories that should be told the Nigel Clough story should be told you know because it's 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 not Captain Tom but in its own way it's a selfless gesture made by somebody to help save other jobs and in the context of what we're going through people need to know that people need to know that football isn't this rapacious greedy industry that it's it's referred to so often on the front pages of, of the tabloids. I agree with you entirely. Uh, I think you know both both Nigel and David are, are shining examples of good people in the game. When you know the focus is on the headlines, and we know, we know that you know that bad news sells sells newspapers, it sells clicks on on websites and so on. Um, but uh, yeah, they, they they give you they give you greater hope, yeah. and that's uh, that's a good thing in today's society. And I would I would say this because I know we have a lot of people in the game listening to us. If if you want to come on and talk to Kieran about the, your experience at your club going through this, or indeed about any other financial issue, uh, please get in touch. Um, uh, get, in, get in touch via, the YouTube, via our questions at priceoffootball.com. Isn't it? Our next pod is our questions one. Um, if, I don't know why I have to say this. We've got 500 million people listening. I misunderstood that, of course, obviously. So I genuinely thought, well, that's good for a week, isn't it? 500 million. Um, but... Um, it, it, we've got fat, we've got a lot. We're in the tens of thousands. So why I'm having to literally beg for good reviews, I don't know. I've done it before in Edinburgh, but I don't see the need to do it now. But I, it's on the script that Guy said. So if you like what you're here, please leave us a review and a rating in your podcast app. As I say, if you have a question, it's questions at priceoffootball.com. And the Price of Football is a Dap Dip production. Kieran, I look forward to seeing you again on Monday. Take care, everybody. The Price of Football. Cheerio. Stay safe, boys and girls. Some football.